I'm Karen Florin, and this is the Storyline Podcast. Last week, we published a story called One More Kiss, Life and Death in the Age of COVID. It was an incredibly moving story about a couple saying goodbye for the last time. I'm here with Elizabeth Regan, staff writer, and Sarah Gordon, multimedia journalist, to talk about how they put the story together. Elizabeth, how did this story come about? Well, we were informed of this couple situation by um, one of our staff members who was friends with uh, the son and daughter-in-law of Sherry and Harold. And um, they just thought that it would be a very moving story. And my coworker agreed and I agreed. And so I made arrangements to go out and meet Sherry. And Sarah, have you often photographed something like this? And what was your experience? Yeah, I've actually been in hospice way more time for work than for personal reasons, which is maybe a good thing. And every time you go into that situation, it's just so incredibly moving. I've been to hospice weddings and hospice babies and hospice goodbyes. And this one, though, was really touching because it happened outside of hospice. And in this modern age, it was really interesting. So let me read the first sentence of Elizabeth's story. On a frigid night in the age of COVID, Sherry Wolf kissed her husband of 72 years goodbye. Elizabeth, um, tell me how you reported the story and how you were ready to witness that moment. Um, I, I didn't know what to expect. It, it was a, a story I heard about. I went in not knowing. Um, I, I should say... When I got there, I was speaking with uh, Scott and Barbara, the uh, son and daughter-in-law, and Sherry had not yet come into the room. So we sat down, and all of a sudden, the door from her bedroom opens, and she's standing there looking beautiful, her gorgeous hair, beautiful face, this light pink sweater and a black skirt, and she's and she's posed in the doorframe with a photo of Harold uh, from when he was in World War II. It was quite an entrance. So maybe we should set the stage a little bit. Before you actually uh, went to witness them kissing goodbye Mm -hmm. uh, in front of the hospice, you went to their home. Yes, at uh, the Masonic Air at Mystic, um, to their apartment, um, to get a little bit of background information from Sherry. And Harold Wolf is 95 years old, and Sherry is also in her 90s. Uh, So tell me what a little bit about their life together um so they've been married 72 years and from all accounts it was an incredibly loving marriage um there seemed to be a lot of humor in it um sherry and scott her son they were talking about how uh funny their father uh, harold is you wrote in your story covid wasn't what was killing him but it was what would likely leave him to die alone Why was that? Um, Because Sherry was going to kiss him goodbye in the parking lot um, where the ambulance dropped him off to go to hospice because she wasn't going to be going in because of COVID and because of her um, fears of of also contracting COVID and losing out on on the remainder of her life, which even though she's going to be 92, uh, I think will last a while longer. She's incredibly vibrant. Sarah, um, so you actually had two opportunities to interact um, 
with this woman. You were at the at the home at Masonic Care, and then you went to the to the hospice as well. Um, did you establish a rapport, um, and how did you go about photographing it? Yeah, I think it's incredibly important, especially in cases like this that arise that day when you're like, you haven't met that person, and you really, to witness this very important emotional event in their lives, you don't want to be a stranger in that moment. And you don't, and you want to be them to be able to trust you. And so I think both Elizabeth and I, you know, I sat in her home for hours and didn't even take a photo. And for me, that is a really important way to establish a relationship and trust with the person that you're documenting is to just spend time with them as a human being, not as a journalist, and to get them comfortable with you. Um, yeah, they kept on pushing back the timeline of the ambulance arrival, and it was a little frustrating for everyone involved, mainly the family. I can't imagine them. Uh, this was supposed to happen before 4 p.m. and then 5, and then it ended up happening at 7. But for us, I think me and Elizabeth, it was really nice to have that time to get to know them before being thrown into this huge moment of their lives. Wow. So you met with um, uh, Sherry and other family members at Masonic Care. In the meanwhile, they were waiting for Harold to be transferred from Westerly Hospital to the, to the hospice. And that's when you heard the story of their lives, really. Um, I think Elizabeth even was saying, I left. At one point, I think Elizabeth even sat in Sherry's bedroom and was working on something else or transcribing notes just because that's how much time we were really able to spend with them before they went to hospice to meet Harold. Yes, I was I was transcribing my notes on Sherry's computer, which she generously let me use. I think I did take an hour, hour and a half to do that, which um, and I was thinking I was going to get that story in for, for that evening's deadline. But luckily, um, my editors were understanding of the fact that this story probably deserved a little more time. So I actually ended up writing it the next day. Elizabeth, I, when, I, when you arrived here at the day, I interviewed you for a little profile. And you told me that you um, were involved in a group that wrote romance and that you've actually written romance before. And, and I think this was such an incredible uh, romance story. Um, here's one of your sentences. In the cold, she pressed her face to his. Oh, my sweetheart, she said, I love you dearly. Um, tell me about how this might have come more natural to you than others. It's kind of crazy how these characters came out so fully formed. These real life people were like fictional in, in, in how they presented themselves. I mean, everyone from Sherry and uh, who I got to meet beforehand. And then Harold, who I'd only heard about and he only said a few things, but each of his one-liners, there was so much personality in each one of them. And then the ambulance driver, who was my favorite, and I really wanted to get that one one more kiss into the lead, um, but ultimately I decided that that it didn't quite work up front, um, so I used it at the end. Yeah. So the the kicker of Elizabeth's story um, says that the ambulance driver, um, his last name was Parker, um, as he pushed Harold into the facility after this very dramatic and very moving goodbye. 
um, he paused at the doors um, to, to let them have one more kiss. And he said, one more kiss before you go in. There's always time for one more kiss. I mean, I could not have come up with that myself. If In my novel, which I am writing a historical romance about a suffragist from Boston, uh, yeah, I could not have come up with a line that perfect. Sarah, um, did you realize um, that you were getting these very beautiful and moving photos as you were taking the pictures? Yeah. I mean, in these types of moments, it's a balance because it's, you're not gonna t- you're gonna get a photo. You're gonna get an amazing photo. You're gonna have an incredible photo. And it's a balance of um for me, what is on my mind and the priority in these moments is not to get too intrusive. And how do you capture the emotion? How do you capture this moment without injecting yourself into it and without interrupting the moment? Um, you know, I don't want them to be thinking of me. I don't want them to hear the sound of my shutter. And so, yeah, it's about it's getting good photos is the easy part. Getting good photos and um, respectively, and that's the hard part. So the lead photo that we used has um, the ambulance doors open, um, and then uh, Sherry is leaning over Harold, giving him a kiss on the forehead, um, or or maybe whispering very closely to him. And their son is standing also um, by the, by the. I guess it's a stretcher that he's on at that point. And, and I don't think that photo ran in print at all. In print, we had the opportunity to use two photos, and we ran one that was an incredibly close-up moving image of Sherry kissing Harold goodbye, and then a second shot of the seconds after he had been wheeled in where it was Sherry and her son and daughter-in-law kind of embracing in that moment in the cold and Sherry in her full fur coat um, after he had been wheeled through those doors knowing that that was goodbye. So Lee Howard, who introduced you, um, Lee is our community editor, is going to talk a little bit about that <clears throat> later to us for this podcast. But it's really a rare kind of opportunity. Did you, Elizabeth, have any trepidation when you got this assignment? I did not. Um, you know what? I just take things as they come. I go in. I don't have preconceptions. I have no idea what I'm going to get most of the time. Um, and this was this was a pretty interesting one. I think the overwhelming feeling I got, which I don't know if anyone is going to be surprised to hear this, but it was just an incredibly joyful experience. It really was. I mean, even after afterwards, after Harold had gone inside, Sherry was laughing. She, there was so much joy in her. And I think maybe it came from doing things on her terms and having that, that interaction with her husband, who was so lucid and so funny and so loving. And there really was just so much joy about it. I mean, it was a comedy hour. We were laughing (laughs) more than we were crying, and I think the same could be said for them. I don't know if we included, if there was room to include this in the story, but there were moments when other ambulances pulled up, and so the first ambulance pulled up, and it was just like one of those clown car scenes where everyone got out of their cars that they had just been waiting in in the fur coats, 
And they were like, oh, is this him? Is this him? And it took them a while. He was kind of being wheeled out where they were like, oh, this isn't That's not him. him. That's not him. That's not my husband. (laughs) You know, they were like, I think at one point Scott was like, oh, you got new glasses, Dad? (laughs) And it took, you know what I mean? And it happened quite a few times where they would, you know, everyone would get out of their cars and they would, and I think eventually they started peeking in the windows of an ambulance and being like, this one's got too much hair. (laughs) And... So when it was finally him, it was so cute. Sherry was jumping up and down, and Scott and Barbara were cheering. And it was just beautiful. It was such a joyful, beautiful moment that they were, I don't know if I would be able to approach that situation with such grace. Was there the sense that, that, you know, they've been married for 70 years, and they've had this very full life, and they have somewhere near 50? Um, Forty nine, maybe fifty by yeah. now. Um, was there this sense of we're fulfilled and we accept this? You know, we've had our we've had our time, and now he's so very sick that yes. it's time to let him go. Yes, she talked about the pain that he was in, and obviously that weighed very very heavily on her. And I, I think that she just didn't want him to be in in pain. And I think it was beautiful. They were talking about it was beautiful for them to be like this is one we're saying goodbye, but also the acceptance that this was how they were going to say goodbye. They weren't even asking hospice if they could be, if an exception could be made, but they had just, it was, and I don't know if I would be able to approach saying goodbye in a COVID surge and that with that grace of just being like, this is the safest, best, easiest way for this to happen. And this is just what it's going to be. So we had a lot of really positive reaction to this story about how very moving and touching and beautiful it was. But I did see um, a note from a person or two um, who said, you know, how dare you um, uh, publish this very personal moment. But Sarah, you are welcome there. Yeah. And I think that's what people, and I, I know what comment you're referring to, they said, did you even have permission to take these photos. And I think the photos speak for themselves. And, you know, obviously we had permission. Um, yeah, and the this, story yeah. speaks for and itself the story too. For itself it's so well. clear that we had it's, this level of access that yeah. was a gift. And it's so clear that they trusted us and welcomed us in a way that not many people would be able to in that moment in their lives. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And it it was especially important based on the the feedback that I received because it sort of it was a moment in time during COVID that people related to. It was you know this has been going on for two years now. It's a lot of a built up emotion, and I think for a lot of people, this story was what just let them let go and get it out and cry everyone and their mother was crying at this story from what I hear and it was very cathartic and to me the only feedback that matters and what I lose sleep over the night before this runs is oh my goodness what are they going to think what is the family going to think and Barbara reached out to me the daughter-in-law she reached out to me the next day to just say thank you so much for these moving images and these moving photos and we're so glad that you guys were there with us and that you went through that day with us, and that's the only thing that matters to me. 
That's absolutely perfect. Is there, um, obviously this was a, an, an incredible dynamic between journalists and subjects and, and it was just the right mix and you both did such a beautiful job. Thank you very much for sharing this with us and with our readers. Thank you. I'm here with the day's community editor, Lee Howard, who happened to know uh, Sherry and Harold Wolf and arranged this story for us. Lee, could you tell me how that came about? Uh, actually, I knew uh, Scott and Barbara Wolf. Uh, so Scott was the son. And uh, Scott actually came to my mother's funeral uh, about a week before the story uh, came to light. And uh, I sang a song during the funeral uh, called Before You Left. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, wow, I really love that song. You know, my dad's not doing that well. Maybe you could think about, you know, singing it for a service sometime down the road. So I said, I don't know, I'm, pl- I'm playing with two players who I'm not sure I can get together uh, for anything else. But, you know, I'd love to do it if I can. So, and then, you know, he kept me up to date a little bit. We, we've been friends with Barbara and Scott for a, a number of years. Uh, uh, they're both very involved in the Jewish Federation and uh, a very good friend of my uh, fiance, uh, Elizabeth Friedman. Um, so um, anyway, we, we got together and, uh, you know, he's been sort of keeping me in touch with the fact that his dad's not doing that well. And he actually told me that he was working on an obit and he wanted some help with the editing of the obit. And I said, I'd be happy to help out with that. And then, uh, and then, you know, he sent me some information about his dad um, that day that we thought about doing a story. And then, like, a half an hour later, I got a call from Barbara who said, I have this crazy idea. And she ran by the fact that they were having this sort of last meeting, you know, before uh, Scott's dad uh, presumably was going into hospice and, and, and going to die, probably not with being able to see his wife again. And she said... I think we should make this a secret. <laughs> I think we should just keep the secret and we'll just like, you know, kind of hit them with this uh, reporter and photographer. And I said, uh, no, <laughs> I don't think that's a very good idea. I said, I think, uh, you know, you know that, that would put us in a really bad situation as journalists, you know, to be like bombarding someone in a very delicate, you know, private moment. So I said, you really have to have the buy-in from the mom and dad um, to make this work. And so she, you know, approached her husband and he approached his mom and, you know, they settled on the fact that, you know, this would work and it would be a good idea. And, uh, you know, I, I could see the value of the story, you know, especially in this age of COVID, um, you know, this might not be a story any other time, but the fact so many people are not able to see their loved one, you know, in their final moments is just such a sad thing. And uh, the fact that this family was willing to sort of share that moment with us, I think, was a really beautiful thing. And, you know, a lot of people accuse journalists of, you know, being hyper aggressive and, you know, getting into situations and putting their nose where it shouldn't be. Um, But I assure you that, you know, we took uh, big precautions not to, uh, not to, you know, interfere with those final moments. And, uh, I think it worked out really amazingly well. And as it turned out, you, we had a wonderful combination of journalists and people and EMT also there, um, because of the way that the story and the photos turned out was just incredible. Is there anything else that you'd like to say uh, about this family and this story and how you uh, made it all come together? 
Um, well, I think, you know, uh, I, I wanted to make sure, first of all, the day actually had somebody available to write the story. So I said, let's not even, you know, get into anything else until we find someone that is willing to do the story. And I think the amazing thing about a place like the day is we have people on call, you know, that can drop whatever else they're doing and get a story like this done within a couple of days and do a really beautiful story with it. Um, you know, I think... The fact that people have a gentle spirit here, I think, is a big part of what we do. And, uh, you know, being a local journalist is different from being a national journalist where you're kind of always, you know, <laughs> super on steroid, you know, level uh, covering things. You know, we tend to take a more uh, gentle tack toward people. So I think that's something people should know when it comes to our local journalism at the day. Thank you for that. And I think, Lee, that you are a person who has been here for decades and decades and has these deep connections in the community and is able to really um, bring us incredible stories like this. So thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. After recording the interviews for this podcast, we received an update on Mr. Wolf. Harold Wolf died at the age of 95 on Monday, January 17, at 6.30 in the evening. His wife, Sherry, was with him, and according to their son, he died in her arms. <laughs>